So the last few weeks I've been chewing on this idea of what made David a man after God's own heart. If he was singled out and selected as being unusual, what was unusual about his life? And so we looked at um, the thing of courage. We looked at how he responded to God's authority. In other words, his patience to letting um, the kingdom come as, he, as God saw fit and not taking shortcuts uh, that would include poor moral choices. Um, we looked at his generosity, and, and I want to come back and, and look at just the person of worship that he was. And when I talk about worship, I don't mean just singing, although he was a psalmist. But uh, it has a, a, bigger, a bigger view, and part of that is that pursuit of God. And it appears that his whole life continually kept going back to the Lord, back to God, chasing him. And so I want to just look at some of those things that, that would speak to his heart, what made him different than others. Um, and this is... This is so important because you know, we, we look on the outward appearance, it's true, and we look at people's capabilities and their potential, and yet for David to not even be invited to, and all the other sons are there, and nobody sees enough in David to even think that he has a capability of, of being considered in the equation. And so uh, the fact that God saw him as different says that for each of our lives, doesn't really matter what family thinks or even the community. It's more just a thing of what does God think about our lives. So that said, early on, he is noted as a person who is very gifted with music and, and worships the Lord. Uh, when Saul is having some issues and they say, well, we need to get a psalmist in here. We need to get somebody that can bring soothing to your life. Uh, one of the guys comes up and says, well, there's a guy in Bethlehem. He's a warrior. He's a good man, but he, he plays the lyre. You know, he's, he's, he's a psalmist. And uh, David gets brought in, and, and Saul really likes him. In fact, he ends up becoming David's armor bearer. But it, it, in the scripture, it just says that when, when Saul was having his troubles, David would start playing his instrument and singing to the Lord. And, and um, Saul would be soothed. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the power of, of, of that setting the place, so to speak, and dedicating to the Lord. And something was taking place, and Saul's life was being changed as he listened. And so that's, that's the early days of David. And, you know, he's credited with writing 75 of the Psalms. 73 of them are, uh, have his name right there attached uh, a couple others from the New Testament refer to David's writing, and so at least 75 are written by him. And then he, later on, when he appoints people as psalmists, a number of those guys have psalms that are listed as well. So he brought a whole culture change, so to speak, into the community or into Israel during that time. Um, I want to go to a, a place called Ziklag with him. David, when he was on the run, he was, uh, you know, remember Saul was trying to kill him, and he spent a number of years being chased, and for a while he went into a, a neighboring kingdom so that Saul wouldn't have authority in that area, 
And as he's there, he's drawn into their army, and he is uh, the tension in their hearts when uh, they're going to fight their brothers, so to speak. And eventually, the, the Philistine leaders say, no, this guy's too dangerous. He'll turn on us in battle, send him home. And so they spend three days getting home. And it wasn't like they could stop at the country inn in suites and, and spend the night, right? And, and, or just head across the street to, to get something to eat. All of this would have been complication. And it would have been a difficult journey, difficult going there, difficult getting back. How are you going to get your food? You know, and so uh, that said, they get home and what they find is that the, their very village has been burned and invaders have come in, taken their wives and children and all their flocks and anything of value and uh, then burned all the buildings. And it says they weep, and they weep until they have no more strength to weep. And in that process, people are talking of stoning David, which, you know, if you're the leader and you're, we didn't like this whole idea of going off to war against our, our brothers, and then we come home and look what's happened. You know, well, might as well get rid of the leader. That'll fix things. You know, <laughs> that said... David, in one translation, says he encouraged himself in the Lord. Or he found comfort in the Lord. It, there's a lot of noise around him. And it'd be very easy to just fall into intense worry and anxiety and, and just want to give up or run. But what he does is he, he hones back in on the important. He says, God, what... What's your thought on this? You know, so really an important thing, you know, that the heart is being revealed in this crisis. And he's going, yeah, there's, this doesn't look good, but God, what are you seeing in this? What needs to be done? And then he goes and asks, should I pursue them? And the answer is yes. Well, they get to a particular ravine and, and and a third of his army, he's got 600 people, a third of them can't even go any further, and they just leave him. So you, the, you can imagine the weariness over the group as a whole, and they're trying to go into battle with a group that's way bigger than them. And yet, this is what they're taking on. So they, they go, and they win that battle. But, well, God, what do you have in this? What do you see? And not being willing to take any other answer until he had found that out. Very powerful story, I think. Um, a little bit later, I want to take on another story. He, uh, he goes to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And they have planned a big deal. There's lots of celebrating, lots of offerings. They're, you know, they're trying to make it a big to-do. And it is a, a wondrous thing for them, but he is, he is bent on this idea. We're built around the, around the worship of God, and the ark should be right here in our, our central place, our capital, so to speak. Well, in the process of this going along, one of the leaders ends up touching the ark. He's afraid that it's going to fall off the cart. Um, 
I'll remind you that in, in the old days with Moses, they had poles that went through some holders and they were to carry it, but they had put it on an ox cart. It looks like it's going to tip. The guy puts up his hand and he dies. David gets freaked. He, he gets angry at first. Then he gets afraid and he's just, you know, we were doing our very best. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those moments where you're going, so we did everything we possibly could do. And yet, obviously, it's not working. And yet, he doesn't leave it very long. He comes back to it and says, no, this was the right thing. We just didn't get it done the way that it needed to be done. And so they go again. And, and they are, it's, it's quite an ordeal because, you know, every six steps they're offering, uh, they're, they're making new offerings. So, I mean, that's what? Just across here? Another offering. It's, it's all about worshiping of the Lord. And you're saying, we're just going to put everything we have into this. So he's responded to this disappointment and this failure of the first time. And even the it's not good enough to go back and say, well, we're going to do this even better. Now, one of the side stories with this is that he's dressed in a piece of linen. Um, think of nightgowns. I guess that's about the best description and, and his wife isn't impressed at all with his dancing and shouting. In fact, she looks at it. She's not there, but she's looking at it and going, you're a lunatic. You know, you're, you're, a, you're, you're vulgar in this. And she really has some things to say. And uh, his response is, I, I care about what God thinks. And I'll become even more undignified if that's what it, you know, if what I think God wants me to do in worship. That's an interesting idea, isn't it? I mean, the the whole thing of what do others think and a responsibility. I know there's responsibility that way, but David's he's giving his all of his might. It's being misinterpreted, or looked at and said, yeah, you, you may be given all your might, but you don't dance very well or whatever, you know. You, you're, you're acting like a fool. And he's going, I, I'm going to do even more when it comes to God. Um, we get, we're, through, I know for me anyway, I'm very aware, you're going to look like an idiot doing that or not? I don't like to look like an idiot. Not many people do. But apparently David's going, my pursuit of God's more important than even how others perceive me. He's, everything about it's extravagant. And he's just investing everything he has in regard to that day. He makes an interesting point to his wife where in a sense he's saying, God's the one that appointed me. He's the one that gave me your father's place. So he had married Saul's daughter. And you look back and you go, Saul's pride was part of his undoing. And David is, in contrast, humbling himself before God and just saying, I, 
You know, I'm going to do whatever it takes to honor the Lord. Crazy. Another thing, out of his worship to the Lord, he brings the ark back to Jerusalem, and then he points psalmists to worship there, and, and that's their whole job. It's just to, to keep singing and praising the Lord and worshiping and writing their songs. But he's, he sees enough importance in it to say, we serve mighty God. He's given us the privilege of having his presence with us. We're going to invest everything we have to, to see this, him honored by our worship and our acts before him. And so he, he takes it upon himself. This is going to be part of our kingdom, so to speak. We're going to worship God. And he appoints psalmists as a part of that process. I mentioned last week his preparation for the, the temple. You remember he gets it in his heart to, to do it, and initially Nathan says, that's a really good project. And then the prophet Nathan comes back and says, um... God says, you're not the one to do this. It's going to be your son. He says, you've, you've been a warrior. You're, you have, in a sense, blood on your hands. He says, That's, you're, it's you're going to be your son who's going to be a person of peace. It's poor Bathsheba. So, you know, we tend to look back and say, well, he had that failure. He killed Uriah. No, this was even before that. And so he, he's just, you know, the point is being made God's temple needs to be associated with peace more than it does with war. But even in that, David marks in his heart then, well, I can certainly help get ready for it. You know, he takes the no and says, but he didn't say I couldn't help. You know, and so rather than get discouraged and frustrated, he just, he says, well, I still have this open door. And that's what he throws himself into. And I remind you, you know, just the amounts that he saved, you know, this 100,000 talents of gold and gold, uh, you know, the talent being what roughly a person weighed. For, and they, in that day, 75 to 110 pounds. It, <laughs> they weren't tall and skinny. They were shorter, okay? Um, but anyway, they probably were skinny too. Uh, but just to, to set your heart on something that you don't get to do, and it's not going to carry your name, you know, all the talk is about Solomon's temple for the rest of, of Scripture. And yet David was the one who set it up and, and prepared and said, he's too young for a project that needs to be so magnificent. I'll, I'll do everything I can to get him ready. Powerful, powerful idea. Okay. Let's go on to the situation with Bathsheba. Okay, David sins. Uh, again, Nathan comes to him and says, uh, this isn't good. And God's going to exact some punishment in this. And he says, the child is going to die. And he said, there's going to be a sword that stays connected to your house as a result of this. And uh, David the first thing he does in regard to the child is calling out to God for the life of the child. He knows that God is merciful. He says, well, maybe he'll, maybe he'll change his mind on this. Maybe I can pray and, 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 and he'll do
do something different. And this goes on for seven days. And his, his advisors and elders are trying to say, get off the ground, you know. This isn't good for you. And yet, he, and, until the child dies, and they're whispering together going, if, if he was this way when the, the child was living, what's it going to be like when he finds out he dies? He may hurt himself. And David sees it, and he responds and goes, what's going on? And uh, the response is, well, the child died. So he gets up, and it says that he, uh, if I can find the passage, it says he washed himself, anointed himself, changed clothes, and then he went and worshiped. So it's like, well, God's no was no. But that didn't stop him from continuing to worship the Lord. And even though he's in this moment of sorrow, and he's recognizing the fruit of his own sin, and he's, he's acknowledging that, that there's a price to pay for all of this, it hasn't changed his heart from pursuing God. And again, it's that, like that, what do we do when we experience loss? Or what happens when we are being punished for wrongdoing? Or we acknowledge that, uh, yeah, I messed up and, and what I'm reaping right now is a result of that. Is the heart turned toward the Lord anyway? And that's, again, what was different about David? You know, he, he wasn't going to be turned away through the outward circumstances. He turns back and worships the Lord. You know, and... and and Nathan had made that prophecy, the sword is never going to depart your house. And he, when he's fleeing Absalom, because this is part of the process. Uh, his own son turns on him. Uh, there are some wretched things that take place, and, and most of David's counselors go over to Absalom. And uh, he's just in a bad place. He's having to flee for his life. He's not even sure if he's going to get out of town. And he's on the run, and Psalm 3 is written as a result of this. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. So he's going, you know, it was prophesied that the sword of just going, he's getting what he deserves. Some are saying there's no hope for him. Some are saying there's no salvation. O oh Lord, you are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. He says, it doesn't really matter what others are saying. God's my shield. And he says, I'm going to protect you. Listen to this next part. I lay down and slept. <laughs> he's running for his life. He's got people trying to kill him. He's not even sure if he's going to live out the next week. And he lays down and sleeps. <laughs> How many sleepless nights have you had when less was happening? Right? I mean, I'd have to admit, regularly wake up and I can't seem to let go of things. 
And yet, David, well, it's in God's hands. I'm, I'm going to sleep. Powerful. Woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid. The many thousands of people have set themselves against me. He'd spent most of his life running. And he'd learned these lessons of saying, I can trust God. I can trust him. I can trust him. I can trust him. I'm going to sleep. It'll all be there tomorrow. He goes on. Save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. Amen. The final thing I just want to note is that, uh, you know, later on, again, as we looked at last week in the Orana or Ornan, he had... Uh, he had sinned, and there's a price, and he chooses God's judgment. And 70,000 people die, and it looks like it's coming on Jerusalem, and they see the angel with his sword, and, and there's this moment, and then it turns, and God's mercy says, enough, enough. So it doesn't go the full stretch of the three days. It just God says, enough. And David wants to do a sacrifice right there. It's where eventually where the temple's going to be built. Arana is freaked out enough. He's saying, just take it. You know, don't need it. And yet David says, I will not give anything to God that doesn't cost me. I'm going to pay full price. And, you know, again, it's just this idea of I'm not going to give God seconds. I'm not going to give God freebies. I'm not going to give God leftovers. I'm going to give him the very best of what I have. And so he says, I, I refuse to pay anything less than full price for this because it's in my heart to give this to God. Amazing. Well, that to me, in some ways, speaks to the power of what was in the heart of this young man, young boy at that point, that God saw and nobody else saw. And yet then, Lord, if that's what catches your attention, then let that be a part of our lives as well. Let us dedicate ourselves to these things. Praise to the Lord. Stand with me, please. We thank you for the truth of your scripture that speaks life to us. We thank you for the illustration of David who caught your attention. Oh Lord, help us dedicate ourselves to the same things. Help us to understand that you see the heart clearly, and we can trust you in all things. Amen.